Father God, thank you for this morning, for this great opportunity we have to just delight in you and who you are and trust in you. For you are our hope. You are our peace, our joy, our love, our confidence. You are sovereign God. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. Happy 2017, the world was supposed to have ended 17 years ago. But on we go. It was pretty funny. I was talking to somebody about that when I, it was 1999, and I had just returned from um, intrinsic action in Kuwait um, with uh, 110 Buffalo soldiers. And we got back, and so Christy and I did what, we should, what you should do after deployment is we got away to our little, we had a cabin in the White Mountains of Arizona with mom and dad. And... Um, we had no idea what was going on in the world, to be honest. It was completely off the grid. 1999 went into 2000. We had no idea. We drove out. We thought we were expecting complete chaos and pandemonium, but drove along, and everything was just the same. It was, it was, December 31st, 1999. What's crazy is as I think about the anxiousness and the fearfulness of December 31st, 1999, and how that was really built up, Right? All the computers were supposed to crash because they, could, they wouldn't know how to revert back to zeros, right? And everything was going to just end. Things were just going to stop. And there's a lot of fear in the world. I think the fear that is being felt in our country and in the world today would match that of 1999 in a lot of ways. Our coworkers, our peers, our, our people we interact with in this community are afraid. For them, the end of the world comes January 20th. They're, they're fearful of the next present. They're fearful of what is going to take place. Maybe we are too. Maybe we have this, some fear in our hearts of what, what's going to happen over this next year. Last year was hard. They don't, you know, in 2017, how can we even have any hope for, for 2017 in the coming year? One of the things that we like to do in our home is we like to make New Year's resolutions. Anybody else? New Year's resolutions? Some of you, how many of you have given up hope on New Year's resolutions? Okay, there we go. That's probably a little bit more accurate, right? Um, <clears throat> so we, we do set some New Year's resolutions. We take some time to... But the way you set New Year's resolutions is, is usually by looking back in the past. What didn't go so well? What do we kind of need to tweak and make things better? For us, what didn't go so well was any diet we attempted, okay? That's what didn't go well for the Morris family in, in 2016, we are hoping for 2017 to be a better year for, for dieting, okay? But so we, we look back. Well, Paul here in this book looks back. He begins to think about a church. And what's very interesting is, is this time frame, as Paul's thinking about this, Paul is sitting in prison. Now, none of us this morning are finding ourselves in prison in chains. Anybody on work release for this morning's service? No, okay, nobody's all right. Because I was going to wonder, you know, Dave would probably have been in uniform and things would be a little different. But, you know, none of us, you know, how many of us are wearing, well, we won't want to admit, okay, the bracelets. No, what is, okay, I don't think anybody in here is wearing a bracelet. None of us are in prison this morning. None of us are in chains. And, and so put that in your mind and in your perspective. Put Paul, as he's writing this letter, you know, in behind bars, not just bars, but they also would have chains and cuffs. And there would have been chafing and, and, and some redness and, and painfulness associated with the chains and bonds that he would have been in. It wasn't a joyful journey for Paul to be in prison. But if you just heard this letter without knowing Paul was in prison, you're thinking he's sitting on some countryside. 
some beautiful hillside with flowers and blooming, the grass and the warm sunshine. And he's sitting there writing this really happy letter to the church in Philippi. But to put it in perspective, with him being in jail and now writing this letter, it puts it in a different shade, a different color, doesn't it? Paul begins this letter saying, you know, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. I mean, he is identifying himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, the one who saved him from being in chains to sin and death. And now Christ is bound to his bondservant of Jesus Christ, the one who set him free. And Christ has brought him to be in jail, so that's where he needs to be. And by his opening statement, we're servants of Jesus Christ. It's this statement of, don't worry about me being in prison. This is for God's benefit. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Now, this is a unique statement to the church in Philippi. I find this very interesting because this is an established church. These people have elders and deacons, and they seem to both be working in, at work in this church, leading this church body. And he's rejoicing in them, and he's addressing this letter to them. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. A very common greeting to the churches that Paul would be writing to. Because Paul recognizes the reason, the purpose, the only way these letters were to be written is because of who? Jesus. There would be no occasion for this letter apart from Jesus. Paul orients our thinking right from the beginning to Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say here, he says, I thank my God for you. I, all, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, how many of us could say that about anybody? I mean, I love my wife, but not every remembrance of my wife I want to thank God for. Like some of those times have been a little bit sketchy, right? Paul, when he is remembering and he's thinking about the church in Philippi, he is excited to think about them and the memories that he has with them and the memories that he has of their work that they're doing. And he goes, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. This is an interesting word that is used here. It's not the normal expression for prayer. It's a little bit different one, and it carries with it the weight of a petition or asking God on behalf of something or someone. So Paul's saying, hey, when I ask God for things on behalf of you, I'm excited to do so. I have no reservation asking God for things on behalf of you. I am thrilled because my memories are so full of joy. When I ask God for things for you, I, my heart is just filled. Now, that's an interesting statement because I know that we pray for people in this church family, and sometimes you pray for, you know, the Lord says pray for your enemies, right? Pray for those who persecute you. And sometimes when we pray for those individuals, there's some reservations in our hearts. Right? We're not having this wholehearted, like, please answer this prayer. We're like, God, I'm praying this because you've asked me to pray this. Got some reservations here. Paul doesn't have any reservations when he's thinking of the church in Philippi. He is so filled with joy. Why? Because of your partnership, verse 5, in the gospel from the first day until now. This is a church that received the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believed and they began pursuing God. They began to seek out what it was to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ from the first day until now. They are faithful servants with Paul in proclaiming the gospel. Paul's delighted 
to rejoice in them. But it's interesting, commentator states that partnering in the gospel, he says it includes the believer's participation in the life of God as well as the sharing of the common faith. Because oftentimes when we hear about living out the gospel, talking of the gospel, we're thinking about evangelism, right? We're telling the lost world about who Jesus is. Paul is saying to partner in the gospel is more than just to tell others about Jesus. It is to live out the truth of the word of God in every setting, in every situation of your life. It's this understanding, this fellowship with God. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And 1 John 1.3, that which you have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed your fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. I liken it to this. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, it says that God would come down in the evening and he would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. And they were just, to us, it's a little bit mind-blowing. It would be frightening as all get out right now for Jesus to come into this room and for us to have a little conversation with him. We'd probably be on our faces, right? Adam and Eve were walking with Jesus in the garden, having this fellowship, this conversation. Paul is saying to live out the gospel, to partner with the gospel, is that we live out our lives as if it's a continual conversation with our God. That we're fellowshipping with God as we fellowship with one another. We're, we're fellowshipping with God as we talk with our community. We're fellowshipping with God as we're, as we're living and driving and, and working our lives out in our daily jobs, in our retirements, in our schools. We're getting this chance to fellowship with God at all times. And Paul is saying, you're partnering in the gospel. You're living this way with this gospel understanding. It's exciting! And it's so cool to watch. And Paul's like, you know, I am just thrilled with you guys. You're, you're loving on God. And, it's all, and Paul says, but the greatest reason for my joy rejoicing is this. That this work isn't temporary. You doing this, it's not gonna, it's not gonna have just gonna have temporal results. When these folks are living for God, he is rejoicing because guess who it's all about? It's about Jesus. And he says, verse here, and I'm sure of this. Paul's saying basically, I you can you can pen this down, you can drill this in stone. This is I am confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That work is just beginning. But as I was sitting back here and I was thinking about this last year and contemplating what our New Year's resolutions were and thinking about our church family, I began to think about what would, this idea of remembering and being joyful in remembrance. And let me tell you something. We have a lot to be joyful about in remembrance of this church body, of this family. Two and a half, three years ago, life groups in this church body began with just three couples. Right now, we have five looking to have possibly ten by the end of this year. Life groups. People were, were, were living life together. We're struggling through it together imperfectly, we hurt each other's feelings. We're loving on each other and working through things together, having some good conversations, having some hard conversations, but God is at work. We're partnering in the gospels. We live this out together. Those groups are growing. We're becoming more of a body of believers who are being involved, involved in and invested in each other's lives. 
Many people who have come to Livingstone Church and become members here are now serving the body. That has been so cool to watch people just becoming the members. I mean, come joining this fellowship, and they're like, okay, well, you guys are telling me that I need to be serving the community and serving the body of believers, so guess what? I'm just going to step up and do it. And we have people who aren't even members who are saying, tell me where to put me to work. It's been phenomenal to watch how people are serving the body. We've been enjoying slide waters and Christmas Eve services. Celebrating Christ and as we come together as one service. Man, we've got this morning was really cool. Junior, I don't know if you know Junior. He was baptized during first service. Um, I can never pronounce his name right, so I won't even attempt to say his last name. Um, He comes to me before the service and he goes, I just want you to know that like ever since my baptism, I have just been on fire. I'm Junior, 72 years old. He goes, coming to faith, getting baptized has changed everything. It's a delight to watch as he is just lit up for God. We've seen a growing diversity in our church family. When we came here, we pretty much had one age group. Would you say, Kyle? It was pretty close. One, yes. <laughs> well, one age group. We, we have multiple age groups now. We have kids, and we have, we have some middle-aged folks, and now we've we got our older generation. We have multiple age groups in our church. God's been doing a neat work as we're watching the Hispanic community joining us here and worshiping with us as well. It's significant. Our community is made up of was it we're talking 40, 50 percent? We're almost even a Hispanic and Caucasian community. Uh-huh. Yet our church doesn't reflect that. But it's starting to take place, and it's exciting to watch what God is doing because the kingdom, I love it. When you hear about the throne of heaven, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group of years represented around the throne of God. And it's going to be amazing. Engagement of our community. Our, our church family has been engaging our community. We have ESL going on, English Second Language. Um, Tom Dunbar is doing great. Tom Dunbar's numbers have been between 20 and 40 people serving the Hispanic community and teaching them English. We have been helping the Food Bank, Young Life, Coaching, FCA, uh, partnering with Schlan Valley Hope. We've been involved in our community, reaching our community, and partnering with the gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community with other church body believers, other churches, as well as our own. We've loved on each other in times of crisis. This year was a a bad one in 2016. I remember when I first got here, I'd been here, I got here in April, and Marshall went home to be with Jesus in June. I mean, I was like, Lord, what in the world? Marshall was... Amazing man of God, father of two kids, Jackie Craw, his, his wife, you see here, here and Eric, and Andres in New York right now. The family devastated with a loss, and the church family, he was on our board, he was part of the group of people that hired me, blame him. <laughs> he was a dear friend. Marshall came to me a month before he died 
He said to me, I have a fear about dying. That my family wouldn't be taken care of and that Eric wouldn't have men around him. I wouldn't have that father figure to raise him to be a strong man of God. I don't know if God was giving him some insight. But what's been amazing is to watch this church family come around the Craw family, walk alongside of them, encourage them, encourage Eric. And he is, I can brag on him here right now, doing amazing because of what God's done in his life and because of this church family loving on him. Francina, precious baby girl, was lost this last year. This church family has been loving on Johan and Nicole and Devin and coming around them and being with them in their time of crisis. This church family loves well, cares for one another well, shows the gospel, demonstrates that gospel to each other in those moments, living the hope of Christ in those moments. Watch this church family rise up new leaders and new programs and, and take things on. You know, Juana had an end, and now Kids Rock has taken off, and, and Dina has just said, you know what? Uh, God's put it upon my heart, and, and, and this is really cool. Dina, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but I, I should have asked permission, but this is really cool. I'm, I'm sorry. I do this every once in a while, but it's, it builds up the church body. I'm telling you what, Dina, Dina um, was trying to get a, a teaching job for this year, and Dina didn't get one, and instead of sitting back there and going, God, where are you at? Why don't I have a job? This, this valley stinks. This, I didn't need to leave this place. This is horrible. She goes, you know what? I think God didn't get me a job so I could take this Kids Rock program on. I mean, that's, that's that living out that gospel. That, that, that's, that's having your heart redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you start seeing things not from a temporal perspective, but from an eternal one. That when, when God says, I'm going to, Take this away from you so I can move you in this direction. You're not, we're not sitting there feeling sorry for ourselves, but we're getting excited going, cool, God, because when you move us and when you take us, great things happen for your kingdom, and I want to live for your kingdom. That kingdom perspective. We've got to watch these partnerships with other churches. Chris over at the Nazarene Church has been a huge help in wildlife program and supporting Glenn and, and others as wildlife is getting on the ground and just partnering with them. We've got to partner with North Shore for events and some real life for events. And, and we're saying, you know what, we're about the kingdom of God and not about just building up Livingstone Church. These are the things that I got to spend this last week just thinking on. Great joy filled my heart as I thought about all I've been doing. And, and I'm sure you guys could sit here and we could go on for quite some time. Paul, you got, is there something that brings your heart joy from members of this church family? Just to see the growth in the church and the diversity that it's coming to. Amen. Someone else? Somebody else that you're in here? That there's, there's been some joy that's been brought to you in your memories of this church family. Giving. Giving. <laughs> or kids. Yes. Mm. Mm. A safe place to start new. That's why I love New Year's. Thank you for saying that, Jacqueline. Kind of like view New Year's as God's 
grace to us, a chance to learn from our past and get after it again. A chance to not sit there and live in our failures, but look to the hopes of Jesus Christ. God has been so wonderful to this church family, and you are desiring and drawing into the Lord. I'm, it's just a pastor. It's been a delight to watch as we have grown together, as you have encouraged my heart. I got a great email just this week talking about the service that we talked about, Joy, that they have just had their joy zapped all year long, and they realized that they were allowing the evil one to come in and steal their joy, and that with Christ as the source of joy in their life, they no longer need to let that happen. Thank you for those emails, those words of encouragement. You minister to my heart. You proclaim the gospel to me. And we proclaim the gospel to each other. And it's a delight. I get to be like Paul this week and just sit here and delight in his remembrances. And what's really cool is verse 6 and verse 7 say that this is just beginning. Because this work isn't founded in you or I. It's founded in Jesus Christ. We may think every once in a while that we're the ones that authored the beginning of this, that started this, but it isn't us. It's Jesus. He started this work. And because he started it, and because of who he is and his character, he's going to be faithful to complete it. That's what's exciting. Paul's getting ramped up here. I mean, Paul may be in chains. I mean, the jailer's telling him to settle down in there or what's going on. But Paul's sitting there writing this, and you can feel the excitement as Paul's writing this. And I can be really excited even more so because this work is founded in Jesus Christ and has everlasting results and an everlasting impact. It's just not going to stop. It's just going to keep going because he's going to be the one that's faithful to complete it until when? Until Jesus steps foot back on this earth, establishes his earthly kingdom forever, and we will join and reign with him for all of eternity. Yeah. It's not a work that's based on you and I. So guess what? It's not... We can screw up, and we can be forgiven, and we can get back at the work because it's founded in him. And so we don't need to remain defeated. We don't need to remain remembering our junk. We can remember back and look at what God has done, celebrate what God has done, and expect him to do more. Because it's a work that's founded in him. The reason we have oops, to celebrate is it's Jesus Christ's work. And look what he says here. Jesus is the one that is faithful to complete this work, and it is right for me to feel this way. Don't, have you ever talked to somebody and you'd be like, hey, Jeffrey, you're doing a great job. Like, oh, no, I've done those things, I've done that. And it's like, just take the praise. Paul's saying, take the praise. As I'm telling you right in this letter, you guys are probably starting to talk around the room about all where you screwed up, let things down, things didn't work out, or so-and-so left the church, or this happened in the church, and we let that person down. And Paul's saying, shut up. It's right for me to feel this way because it's Christ's work. Stop putting down God's work. Let God's work be celebrated and praised and exalted and glorified because it's from him. It's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. I want to stop there for just a second. Paul is in need of God's grace. Philippians are in need of God's grace. Paul is saying here, it's not about you guys and how perfectly you've done things, but it's about the grace of God that in spite of you, in spite of me, God is at work and we're pursuing him. We're always in need of the grace of God. And until Jesus Christ comes in that day, we will always be in need of his grace. 
Paul says both in my imprisonment, you're not ashamed of me. I was reminded of, how many of y'all have seen Back to the Future? A few, good, okay. I was a little worried about first service. I was like, man, you guys need to watch more movies, okay. <laughs> back to the Future, remember there, there, when he goes back in time, you know, he got that, the, or actually, no, it wasn't back in time, the movie starts out, they're all sitting around the table, and they got this cake, right? And it's supposed to be for one of the uncles that is stuck in prison, right? And he didn't make parole again, and so they're kind of just throwing the cake out or have some cake. He didn't make parole again, okay? That, he was probably not the uh, shining star in that family. Would you agree to that? The, the guy, the, the, the uncle prison. But here, Paul's in prison, and they're not ashamed of him. He is the shining star that they're excited to follow and be about. They're excited to learn from. They're not ashamed of Paul and his imprisonment because they're seeing it from the perspective of heaven. This is for God's benefit. For God is my witness. Oh, he says in prison and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That a word for affection there is that same word that Jesus used when he looked upon the crowds of people before he fed the 5,000 and 4,000. Great compassion on them. Paul is greatly filled with compassion and passion for the Philippian church because of their stance in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice something here. Paul says, isn't making this contingent on what's going on around the church, but what's going on in the church and the defense of the gospel. Paul is ecstatic that the work that Christ has started in the hearts of the Philippians will continue and that church will continue to blossom and grow. And Paul has a prayer for that. Paul doesn't want to just have a short-term memory time of rejoicing. Paul wants to continually rejoice in the memories of the church in Philippi. So Paul is going to pray this prayer for the church in Philippi that will cause it many more days of rejoicing and memories to be had make for, them to, for us to celebrate, for Paul to celebrate in what God is doing in them. I would like to challenge us this year. If you got your Bibles open or if you're using your iPad, highlight this verse, underline this verse, and begin to pray this verse for our church family. Pray this verse for your own life. I would love this to be a theme verse for us as we move forward through this year. Verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. With knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I want to stop there. As we look at this idea of love, today if you were to ask someone, and Jeffrey did an amazing job of talking to us about love during Advent, you're to ask somebody what love is in the world today. Love is, is this idea, this concept to, to truly love somebody. is just to let them be. I love them where they're at and letting them be. Do what you want to do. Do however you want to do it. I'm just going to let you be because if I love you, I'm just going to let you go. Right? Was it, if you truly love something, you're going to let them go. And if they love you back, they'll return to you. Nice poetic you know, imagery there. But Paul seems to indicate that love looks a little different here. 
Paul states, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Commentary writes, love must be intelligent and morally discerning in order to be genuine. I'm going to read that again. Love must be intelligent and morally discerning in order to be genuine. Love is not this just accepting all sin. It's not this just we're going to let things just happen. But it says, you know what? There's this, this beautiful standard in the Lord. And if I want to love people, I want to see them draw near to that life, draw near to pursuing God that way and living that life, that abundant life God has for them. It's not saying, you know what? What you're doing is okay. It's no big deal. It is based on knowledge. Notice that. Love is based on knowledge, the intellectual perception that recognizes principles from the word of God as illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Such spiritual knowledge enables believers to love what God commands. Paul is telling this church in Philippi, let your love abound. The more you know of God's word, the more you know of who he is, the more confident you become in him, the more excited you become about living your life for him, that love is going to grow and abound and abound. But that love is founded in the knowledge of who God is and what he is, the life he has called us to. That's what love is. You cannot separate love out from this knowledge of who God is because if you don't know who God is and desire to be drawn near to him, then how can we ever understand what love is or what love looks like to live out? He goes on to say the depth of insight stresses moral perception and practical application of knowledge to the myriad circumstances of life. Spiritual knowledge is not abstract. It's not this pie-in-the-sky idea, but it is intended to be applied to life. Paul tells them that the more you love with this knowledge and discernment, you approve what is excellent and pure and blameless. Our own lives should demonstrate this love by choosing to be obedient unto what God has called us, by choosing to do what is right. And this author goes on to make this excellent point that, that it's not just about choosing what's not wrong. Fine, just tell me what's, what's, what's bad and I won't do it anymore. But rather, love is motivated to choose what is best. Not just what's not wrong, but what is best. When we read here in 1 Corinthians 10.32, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church. And also in 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. That when we choose to love, Paul's calling the, remember, this is written to a church body of believers, a family of God. And he's calling this church to love, let this love abound, that the choices we make aren't just about, oh, is that right or is that wrong? But rather, even more so, is that beneficial? Is my actions going to actually build up the body of Christ here or tear it down? Because we can get, when we get motivated, only thinking about what's right and what's wrong, we actually can do things that are right, that are damaging to other people. You know, we think about the way in which we spend our money. Is it wrong for me for me to go out and buy a really nice car tomorrow? Is it, is it wrong? If I have the money and the finances, right? Is that wrong? No. 
But what if, what if God is, is, and I've got, we got families in this church family that maybe that need some support and help, and God is laying things on my heart that I need to be supporting them, but I'm going to go ahead and exercise my right by buying the car and leaving this family in wanting hurt. You see, when we start, all of us together, start gaining this perspective that everything we have, all of life is God's, and we want to use what we have for God, our money, our finances, our time, for his glory and his kingdom work, we start gaining this perspective. Is this what I'm about ready to do beneficial for the body of Christ? It's not just about what's right or wrong. Drinking. We as a, as a church body here at Livingstone Church, we don't believe that drinking alcohol in and of itself is evil or wrong, but the abuse of it is. <laughs> Maybe we're around people who've struggled with it, but we don't really care. It's my right to drink. Even though this guy right next to me who's leaning in and wanting to know more about God and more about what is this, well, I'm going to have a beer. Do you want a beer? No, I uh, struggle with alcoholism. Well, okay. I'm going to, hey, give me another one. Are we going to help this guy through it or are we going to just be about my right? And choose not to do that around them or in front of them. You know, there are a lot of other circumstances that we can use and choose to use, but are our actions building up the body of Christ? Because that's what love is. Love is motivated by this benefit to see others built up on the Lord. We start thinking about ourselves. I was thinking about others before ourselves. Paul goes on to say here in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. You ever thought of yourself as a tree? Like a fruit tree? We've got a lot of fruit trees here, right? In the valley, right? And a fruit tree, we expect your fruit tree. I mean, Kyle, you'll probably give me a good. If, if you had a tree in your orchard that started to grow but didn't bear fruit, what would happen to that tree? It goes in the burn pile. It goes in the burn pile, right. It's of no use, Right. So the first thing that we expect that love is going to be to this kind of love that abounds in the knowledge of God and that abounds in the knowledge of Jesus Christ is going to create this plant that grows up and bears fruit. So first off, if this tree doesn't bear fruit, it's a sign that it does not have this love that is found in Christ Jesus. So we're fruit bearers. Well, those who are in Christ Jesus, we're supposed to be bearing fruit. Well, what kind of fruit are we bearing? When somebody comes up and goes to the tree that, of fruit that we're producing, and when they go to grab that, that apple or that pear or that peach or that you know, nectarine or whatever were the fruit that we are, right? And they grab that, and they begin to, to, to feel it, and they begin to smell it and taste it. Does it bring delight? Or is it bitter? Is it rotten? Is it unripened? Paul says, I want you guys to produce fruit of righteousness. And this idea of righteousness, this idea of, of holiness, that the fruit that we give off is desirable to others. Even those who do not yet know Jesus Christ come to this tree, the, the fruit that we're producing, and they're going, man, this, is, this tastes really good. I don't know why it tastes good, but it tastes good. It smells amazing. I don't know why it smells amazing, but it's amazing. And I can't help but think of this fruit in conjunction with love here. And, and 
in 1 Corinthians 13. Anybody who's been to the marriage ceremony recently um, has probably heard this passage. You know, it's always a lot of fun to read this at weddings because it just sets the bar way up here. And after you read this passage, you probably should go to 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because we realize that to live this way and to live this kind of love is difficult. But it's the fruit that we're supposed to be growing. In 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. So what does it look like? For not just as an individual trees, but as an orchard. Imagine this church body as an orchard of trees. And somebody coming in the midst of this orchard. Do they see this fruit of patience? And patience, we're talking about loving each other with patience. And the, is this idea that's understanding that we're, we're patient upon what God is doing in each other's lives, that we're not progressing in our relationship with God at my time frame, but God's time frame. We're patient with each other in our uniqueness. We're not standing in the way of God's work by becoming impatient. Love is kind. Love is kind. It has this heart that's motivated to be of benefit to others. Love does not envy. It does not boast. Love does not look across the street or even in the parking lot out here. Somebody that may have gotten a new car for Christmas and love doesn't look out there and say, oh, I know they don't have the money for that. Why in the heck are they buying that? And, and looking at that going, and really what's going on in your heart is you're envying what they have, right? Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't look at each other's relationships with God and say, I need to have their walk with God. No, God's given you your walk with God. I don't want you to have my walk with God. I want you to have your walk with God that God is calling you to. Our God isn't to emulate and be mimickers of each other's lives, but rather to be called by God's purposes and pursue him. Love is not arrogant or rude. Oh, boy. I remember going to a, I went to a, a conference, a theological conference, and I remember we were all arriving there and getting out of a, of a cab, and we were all walking in the hotel, and up in front of me was the, the keynote speaker, and I was like, oh, I was really excited. Like, I had his book, and I'm going to go run up there and have him autograph his book, right? And, and all of a sudden, I heard him to turn to the taxi driver and say, you almost killed me. That was lousy driving. Don't expect a tip from any wall storms inside. Are you kidding me? Love isn't supposed to be arrogant and prideful and angry. I mean, love, love isn't supposed to give off that kind of fruit. And, then, and what's crazy, Paul is saying, I want that love to abound more and more. And the more love abounds within us, the more knowledge we have of God, it is supposed to cause us to be kinder, pay more patient with one another, tender-hearted towards one another. The more God lives up, the more gentle and soft and humble we're supposed to be with one another. But the problem is, oftentimes in churches, I see people go to Bible studies or I see people come to Sunday mornings regularly and they get into the Word of God and they start studying it and all of a sudden pride, pride builds up and I know all this about God. And I'm going to beat you down with it. And I'm going to demonstrate how you're not living up to God's Word. And whoa! Love should be patient and kind. 
Not seeking one's own. It's not rude. Does not insist on its own way. Is not irritable or resentful. Anybody else getting convicted? It's not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I don't know if you can or not. I tend to be imaginationally challenged sometimes myself. Could you imagine an orchard, somebody walking into an orchard of Livingstone Church family, and this is the fruit that we're bearing? How much benefit it would be to the person who's walking into that? How much of a benefit it would be for each other? You see, we live in a day and age of uncertainty. We don't know what's happening probably with jobs. We don't know what's happening with our political environment. It's interesting. I was looking in my, my phone this morning. I like to keep up on the news, what's going on in the world. North Korea, close to testing long-range missiles. Burundi environment minister, Nyonkukuru, shot dead. Terrorists freed in Bahrain prison raid. Drunk Canadian pilot arrested in cockpit before takeoff. Indonesia ferry blaze Jakarta kills 23. In Istanbul, a nightclub was bombed and dozens are dead. Seems like the world's just kind of going crazy around us. And maybe we're feeling fear and anxiousness on this eve of 2017. But let's put things in perspective. Paul's in prison. He's going to get beheaded. Nero is going to be a brutal emperor to the church. Nero will usher children, believing parents, into the Colosseum wearing sheepskin to watch them devoured by wolves. Christians will be tarred hung on crosses and burned to light Nero's garden. Diocletian will rise up, try to burn every piece of scripture literature that he can find and torment and abuse Christians and persecute them. These letters were written to those churches just like they're written to us. So let's pause for a moment. And before we start thinking how terrible our world is and things are out of control... God was sovereign in those moments. He is sovereign in our moments. He will watch over. He will protect. He will take us through these days. He is calling us to be this delightful body of believers in the midst of a chaotic, broken world. Outside of this orchard, things are ablaze. Being burnt down to the ground. People are starving for hope. They're starving for peace. They're starving for joy. And they can enter into this orchard. And they can find those things as we are bearing these fruit. And people find joy and comfort and peace by coming into this body of believers and finding the hope of Jesus Christ. Because he's at work. 
And he's bringing things to his fulfillment. And we get to be excited about that. No matter what's going on in the world around us. And we are, the world is in desperate need for us to live this way. To be a people who delight in each other and delight being children of God. That's what we can hope and expect because God is still at work. We can look to 2017 and say, I have great hope and expectation of the one who is continuing his work out in us. We don't know what that looks like. This year is going to be filled with celebrations. And it's going to be filled with heartache. Because the scriptures tell us that as the days draw near to the end, Women delight in bearing children. Most of them do. Most of them get very excited about that opportunity to, to bear a child. God has just made women amazing. But when scriptures tell us that when the days end and draw near, it will be better for women to say, I don't want kids because the days are so evil. That's a huge statement. And as the days draw more and more evil and more and more wicked, We, as a body of believers, have to shine brighter and brighter. We've got to be that people of hope. Those people delight and trusting in the work that God has initiated and started then said, I will be faithful to complete. So maybe do yourself a favor. Turn off the news. Put down the newspaper for a minute. And open the Bible up. And get to know the God of the Bible. And delight in knowing him. And delight in what he's got planned. And get that kingdom perspective. So that when you do pick that newspaper back up, you do hear that, that television broadcast. Or you do hear that story that your, your person working next to you tells you or at school tells you. You could sit there and go, yeah, these are some hard days. These are some uncertain days. And that's why I can't live my life any other way by, by trusting in Jesus. I can't live my life by any other way by, by, by looking to his plan. Because his plan has been perfect. His plan has brought a savior, Jesus Christ. God came down and became God-man and lived the perfect life and died upon the cross for me so that I might have hope in these dark days. And you too can have that hope too. That the media doesn't need to terrify us because the word of God says he is in control and he is bringing things to the fulfillment of his day and his glory and for those who are in Christ Jesus it is to our benefit we get to delight in him our desire my desire is is for us to be praying this prayer this next year as we spend time together as believers as we are out in our community with this idea and understanding of us growing more and more abounding in God's love and that we might be fragrant, that we may be good to the taste, to the world around us and to each other this next year, that we might be a body of believers that cares for one another, that ministers to one another. We become part of each other's lives. And we come in the business of making these incredible memories so that when we come to 2018 next year, if God sees fit and tarries, 
and the world hasn't ended because Trump's president? They haven't gotten nuked or something? That we will sit here or stand here in these days in 2018 and rejoice in what God has done. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord God, that you are sovereign and in control. I thank you, Lord God, that you have our best interest and best needs at hand. Thank you, Lord God, for the joy that we have of being your children. Lord God, thank you that we get to live this life out together and that we get to be a sweet fragrance, a a sweet taste to each other and to our community. And then we get to live the life out of the gospel. And we get to speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get to be a people of hope in times of hopelessness. Get to be light in the darkest of days. Give us courage, Lord God. Help us our unbelief. Forgive us our, our sins. In Jesus' most holy and wonderful name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.